Anyway, this morning, um, I just, I don't have a long message, I don't think it's a long message, I could get carried away, who knows. But I just, uh, coming back from the conference, I'm sort of saying to myself, you know, what are you saying to me as an individual, what were you saying to the church? Give me a wave if you went to the conference, don't feel embarrassed, wow, we. That's absolutely awesome. Give me a wave if you didn't go to the conference. Okay, well this is new to you guys. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing is that there was a theme through those messages. There was a, a theme. There were two things that I really took out of it. One was a confirmation of what we were already doing. And that was, Joshua took the land. It was just that simple statement, Joshua took the land. And there's many things we can read into that, but I just felt that was a confirmation of what we've been doing with our young people. The young people, as you saw that photo, did you count them? Did you try to count how many people were in that photo, you know, with the slide that they put up? Just throw us that uh, slide again, um, JJ, this, of um, Limitless Youth. I mean, look at that. That's on Friday night. And uh, it's just absolutely awesome that they want to be there. But this is, if we look at it from a visionary point of view, what is God saying to us when these people are turning up, you know, hungry for more of value in their life, hungry for the Lord? If we go to slide number two, you know, it's challenged by these messages. And if we think of Joshua took the land, I know you're all reading that, you're getting ahead of me, I know. But the young people we see in the band, we've got JJ over at the back there on uh, media. She even came this morning, she just came in early, and uh, we don't know who's actually rostered on, and she's hiding there in the background, but she's doing a great job. Amen? You know, it's the young people taking the land, and that's what we want to see. Uh, we don't want adults and young people. We want the Church of Jesus Christ, which is Joshua. It is Moses. Now, I'm not Moses, because I'm not going to die in the, in the desert. I'm going, I've come across the River Jordan as well. And I'm going to encourage the other Joshuas. You know, I'm going to encourage them. But we want to see that. And we had our four hours prayer meeting on Friday night. Give me a wave if you weren't there. <laughs> I'm being mean. I'm really being mean. But the young people were there. There were two carloads of them there. You know, and that's encouraging. They're only there for about an hour, an hour and a bit. But it's important that we pray as a church. And it's important that we encourage the young people because they are taking the baton. It's not that we're going to pass the baton, they've already taken it and running with it. So the, one of the words that in the conference was that confirmation word. But the other thing is this thing here. When we look at the speakers, we look at J. John, Denny, um, Pastor Tark, and I just took some of the things out. And the blue, the yellow, and the green, when, when J. John was talking about looking up, uh, looking in and looking out, and Sue did a message about that at Mother's Day. But then another message, Danny was saying expectation, meditation, and application. It's similar. Expectation. We're expecting something from God. Or are you expecting something from God? Is your expectation in God? And then you're looking at meditation. You know, that's the time we pray into it, we think about it, we pour into what God is saying, and again, application. What are we going to do with it?
you know, where is God taking us? So very similar as the first one. Then again, Pastor Tark, when he's talking on prayer, the renewal of prayer, that's our relationship with God. Obviously, we pray to God. You know, then there's the reconciliation. What do we do through that? How do we bring things back together? How do we get things on track? And again, priority of evangelism, because it doesn't take you long to be praying to God. You start hearing His voice. You know, He's wanting you to do something with what He's given you. And then J. John again, intentional in praying. Intentional in praying. Intentional in caring and intentional in sharing. And you can probably, those that went to the conference, can remember his voice, you know, I can't speak like he speaks. But praying, caring, sharing. Praying, caring, sharing. And then again, uh, we'll talk about the bottom line shortly. But you see, that was what, if we look at it like that, if we look at it going across, but then if we look at it down, you know, it's our relationship with God. The first one is our relationship with God. The second is our relationship really with ourselves. And the third one is our relationship with the community or others. So the challenge, if we go to just the slide three there, are we seeking a great relationship with our Heavenly Father? Is that, where are we with that? Are we taking care of ourselves spiritually and physically? Are we making efforts to connect people with the good news of the gospel? You know, I've entitled the message Stop Take. And anybody who's done stock taking, they know it can be a bit of a painful process if you've got to count every screw or you know every washer or whatever is on the shelves. You know, it's it's a painful process, but it allows the company or allows you to know where you're at, what you've got, what's the thing. So really, that's why I've entitled the message "Stock Take." We're just taking a stock take. Where are we at with seeking? Uh, a relationship with God. Where are we at in seeking or looking after ourselves, physically or spiritually? And where are we at at um, reaching others uh, with what we have? So, Pastor J. John's his last message, if we look again at um, slide number two, his challenge was to the church, really. And, and we've talked about this with our leadership. He's saying... How about 33% spent on worship, 33% spent on well-being, and 33% spent on worship? So how do we bring that into some sort of, it's not like we have to do that, but it's a challenge to say, are we doing that? Where, where are we funding our time? Where are we funding our prayers? Where are we funding our money as a church? Where are we doing it in those areas? Have we got out of balance? Uh, or are we uh, needing to put some areas? So it was quite challenging in that aspect. So which, really, which slice gets the biggest in those three categories? If we look at those three categories, we look at God, we look at ourselves, and then we look at others, which gets the biggest slice in our own time? And I just thought of that funny story where the, the parents couldn't look after the animals any longer, and they knew they had three kids, and they had three pets as well. So they decided they'd just give one pet to each child, that's fine, alright? But the kids didn't think that was awfully fair, because one got a horse, one got the goat, and one got the rabbit. <laughs> now, they're all different sizes, and some are more used than others, but they still only got one each. And I think it's when we, 
develop our relationship with God is who's getting the biggest, who's getting the horse, who's getting the rabbit. And I think most of the times we're the ones who get the biggest slice looking after ourselves. So Paul told the Corinthians, if we just have a look at this from 1 Corinthians, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will be saved as one escaping through the flames. And I think we all want to really have, what? Gold, silver, and precious stones. So that when that goes through the fire, it doesn't burn up. So at the end of our life, when what we do and how we react to God's word can be wood, hay, and straw. And we know what happens to that in the fire. So even though you're a Christian, or even though we're a Christian, we get to heaven, all right? But imagine that your whole work is just comes under the flame and there's just a pile of ash. It, it horrifies me to think that that could be the case. So we want to encourage people, I want to encourage myself, that what I do is gold, silver, and precious stones. Even though uh, we've probably all heard this before, it's important to take stock and if necessary adjust things because who wants their life's work to be end in nothing? If we have a look at this next picture, I'm a visual person, I like pictures. Alright, and if we look at blue as being our God time, and we look at yellow as being us, and we look at green as being sharing our faith. And that, and that can be loving people, it can be you know baking for people, it can be caring for people, it can be sharing the gospel. It can be serving in, in a mission station. Uh, I'm thinking of Andre here at the moment. I always think of Andre who's cooking sausages, and I'm going to ask you to do that again. So, you know, when we, do, when we had our Friday fun night here, 100 kids in here that we invited from the community, 50 of them put up their hands for salvation. And Andre and his team are out in the kitchen doing the sausages. To me, that's missions. If that's where you feel you're part of missions, so that would go down in the green. But if we look at our life, our, our daily life, or our weekly life, or our monthly life, which box, which category would you think you would be more like? And that's where I want to stock take. Is it the 33% that Jay John is suggesting the church be like in the middle? Or is it we're doing pretty well with God, we know we're doing pretty well with ourselves, and you know we're on the way to missions? Or is it a bit more like the other side here, not so much with God, pretty good on our own, looking after ourselves, and not so much on uh, evangelism. You, you can have your boxes any way you like, but that's what a stock take is, and that's what I'm talking about this morning, really. You know, when, when asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law, we know what Jesus says. It says, love the Lord your God with all your 
fact, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's everything. It's really basically everything we've got. Our will, our heart, our strength to love God. Alright? And then he says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. This verse sums up the three most important priorities for all Christians. Loving God, loving ourselves, and loving our neighbor. Amen? That's it. It's incorporated all three. And if we go back to slide, I'm getting JJ to do quite a bit of work here, but if we just go back to the uh, previous slide, um, sorry, the, the, the slide two. Again, you've got the blue, loving God, you've got the yellow, uh, loving ourselves or our, our close family, and then you've got uh, loving others. And, and so that is really the theme. So we come back to slide number six. Uh, six. How are you going in, in those areas? Who in your life gets most loving in the day? Our kids, our spouse, our friends, God, or other people? The Apostle John, one of the 12 disciples, you know, he wrote uh, the, the Gospel of John, and he also wrote three letters uh, later in life, and also the book of Revelation. And in his first letter, he had two main purposes. One is to encourage its readers to live in fellowship with God, and the other was to warn against false teaching, because even in his day, there was false teaching already. And if we look at 1 John here 4, it says, We love because He, God, first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And He who has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's, it's, we can say we love God, but if we don't love our brother and sister, we don't actually love God. And love really comes from God. Now, I don't, I don't want to be political about this, but there's, there's quite a bit of controversy in the Christian church about what our Prime Minister has been doing with another faith and her empathy with it. But really the Word of God says that love comes from God. And so we can have actually people that may be not born again, but yet God can work through them to show love. Because love does not come from the enemy. Love comes from God. And later in life, we need to pray for our Prime Minister. We need to pray that people come to salvation. Alright? But loving people comes from God. Whether we're born again or we're not. You don't just have love when you're born again. It's a character that God builds into us. John goes on to say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can 
the love of God be in that person. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So if we go back to the stock taker, you don't need to do the slide, but if you go back and you think to yourself, well, I'm loving God, I'm doing it. I love God, I love my quiet times, I love it. But if there's no action at the other end, and that we're not loving at our brothers and sisters, then it's, John is challenging us in that area. And he says, uh, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask. So this is interesting how he brings that in. We all want our prayers answered because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He has commanded us. So again, He brings in that we just must love one another. So you see, what pleases God? What opens the doorway to answered prayer? It's actually loving others. It's loving other people in this room. Now, it's a struggle for some people. Some people are shy, I understand that. And some people are introverts, and some people are extroverts. But when you've got the love of God in you, you need to outwork that, whether you're a shy person. It's, it's not difficult for an extrovert just to get up at you know, that break when we have a fellowship break and go around and greet all people. That's easy. It's not easy for an introvert or somebody who's shy to do that, but sometimes we just got to get the love of God to just flow through us and say, if I can't love others, you know, how am I going to get going? I'm held bound by the enemy. And you know, we just might find somebody in the congregation here who's just hurting. We just might find somebody that we can just share a kind word with. We might find somebody that's trying to do an adventure and we can just give a word of encouragement to to. So in the fellowship break, we can actually use that because the Bible says encourage one another daily. And what does encourage mean? Give courage to. So somebody's building a venture or they want to start a, a new business or something like that and we are able just to give them some courage towards that. Or somebody is going through pain and it's, it's, it's been a difficult week, it's been a difficult month, it's been a difficult year and we can help to give courage to that person. So I want to give courage to you and I want to encourage you in our fellowship breaks, go and love somebody. I don't mind breaking it up after a few minutes. You know, sometimes we have technical issues at the back there, we've just got to get that worked out. But encourage one another. Look around for somebody that just needs your courage. And encourage one another and love one another. And that, it opens a doorway to answered prayer. It's right there. And receive from Him anything we ask. Anything we ask. As we love one another. We need to come to a place where we, ourselves, are confident we are walking in the purposes and in His ways. And so our hearts can't condemn us. So it's not me condemning you, it's not somebody else. It's our own heart can condemn us, as it says in that scripture. I know there's a scripture that says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and there's not. But it's usually our heart. Have you ever said something to somebody you wish you hadn't said? You come away from a, a situation, you just wish you could turn the clock back. That is your heart condemning you generally for something that you've done. And I've had it happen to me. I don't like it. 
you know, anybody who's eaten humble pie, it's got crow's feet in it. Who likes eating crow's feet? They get stuck in your... wherever. Alright? I prefer not to be eating uh, jam slice, yes, but not humble pie. I don't like eating that. So our heart condemns us, um, and so we step forward. Receiving from God anything we ask opens a huge window keeping his commands and doing what pleases him. Jesus was trying to explain this to his disciples, but they, like us, get distracted. They got distracted. This is a very important phrase, but I'm quite amused by this. Jesus is, is, you know, trying to explain to the disciples something. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. Alright, that's the first part. Then he says, a new command I give you. A new command. Love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. That's a command. John's saying we need to do something, but Jesus is saying, I command you to love one another. Alright? This is a pretty important point. Jesus was trying to get this across to them. But something else Jesus was saying caught Peter's attention. Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Are we kind of similar? Now we know this story. We know Jesus warned Peter that he was going to disown him. We know that, alright? But he was, Jesus was trying to tell him something about loving one another, and he skipped that pretty quickly. And you could skip what I'm saying pretty quickly. And the saying such and such and such and such, if you know what I mean? We can just skip by that. So are we kind of similar? Jesus is telling us that if we love him, we will naturally love others. But we just get distracted and in some cases just want to hang out with him. We just, like, Peter just wanted to hang out with him. Where are you going? I want to come with you. I just want to hang out with you. We tell Jesus, he is our Lord, as Peter did. I will lay down my life for you, Lord. But given the opportunity, we can sadly cross onto the other side of the road. The Good Samaritan helped the person in the gutter, but others <coughs> walked past on the other side of the road. Twice in Matthew and Luke, and once in Mark. Uh, so it was quite important. Jesus boils it down saying, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And when we invite Jesus to be our Lord of our lives, the Spirit of God comes in to live with us. As it says in Ephesians, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So where does Christ live? In your heart. The Spirit of God is living in you. And he's just waiting to help us. So denying ourselves brings us under the rulership of the King of Kings. It's a choice we make. And we are never forced by God to do anything. Everything is our choice. 
a choice whether we want to do it or not. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Can anybody remember the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? Can we say it together? Just the beginning. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Your, we're actually saying your will be done. Do we want that? Do we want his will to be done in our lives? Or do we want it to be done out there? Lord, we want your will to be done out there. But really, it should be, we want his will to be done in our life. Remember what Jesus said on the night he was arrested. What was his famous words? I'll give you a clue. It starts with not. It's coming. Not my will. You guys know it, eh? You know it off by heart. And you go into your prayer closet, or you go and pray and you say, Lord, not my will be done, but yours be done. Not my will be done, but yours be done. It's a very, very powerful prayer. Jesus took up his cross under submission to his Father, and he tells us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. Now, sometimes there's a misunderstanding as to what our cross is. So to clarify, I want to clarify this morning. It's not a health issue. It's not a thankless job that you're in. It's not a strained relationship. It's not a lack of finances or other hardships that we as humans face. That is not our cross. That is a lie from the enemy that makes our God is punishing us. And so when we believe these hardships are our cross, we carry a counterfeit cross. Alright? If the enemy can get you to believe that the hardships you are going through is your cross, then you're going to carry that. And is that going to be attractive to others? Now, I'm not diminishing that we go through things, but that's not your cross. That's not attractive to others. As ugly as that wooden cross that Jesus hung on, that is still attractive. Because that forgives sin. That draws us in, doesn't it? That brings us into a relationship with God. And our cross should do the same thing. That is a counterfeit cross. It's a, it's a painful process. It's something we need to go through and we will go through. When we take up our cross, our life bears fruit. When we take up our cross, it bears gold, silver and precious stones something that the world needs. They need our cross that we're carrying because if we're carrying it to them. The community will notice your cross if you carry your cross. By this, the scripture says, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Amen? Your works, the community will know that you are Jesus' disciples. People may even ask you, why did you do that? Why are you always so positive? There's something different about you. I know you're going through hardships, but you're always positive. Why would you do that? Why did you go the second mile? These phrases people know, but they don't understand. Why did you show me love? Why did you give that money back? 
Why? Because we have Christ living in us. Amen? We did it because Christ lives in us. So your cross is obvious. Take up your cross daily. And that is the purposes of God. That is your calling. You don't have to hang on the cross. That's been done. Your cross is to come under submission of God and my cross and to do what He is asking me. Can anybody get that? That your cross is attractive? Ugly as the cross was, your cross is attractive to the community because your cross, you will reach the community. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Doesn't that sound like a good place to be? To be yoked? You know, many people over the years have said to me that they've got a sore shoulders. But sore shoulders. And a lot of it is spiritual when we talk about it. And we find out they're carrying yokes that they shouldn't be carrying. People start to stoop over as well by carrying these yokes that they're not meant to carry. Or they say the burdensome of, of being a Christian is so burdensome. They've got all this to do. But Jesus says, no, no. And I challenge myself with this. Have I taken on a, a yoke that shouldn't be for me? I remember when I... Some of you may know, but I was in this serious crash unit in the police. And I was working out of Henderson Station, and I had people up at Oriwa, I had them at the motorway unit, and I had them at different places, and I was in charge. But they were based at different stations, and they, the uh, superintendent of the district, the North District, decided that they would uh, move us into a central place at the Harbour Bridge. Now, reluctantly, I, I, I went, uh, thinking that now I lived in Henderson, and I worked in Henderson, now I had to go across on the motorway and all that, to go into the North Shore each time. But I actually enjoyed it. Going across the Harbour Bridge in the morning was just fabulous. You could be in the clouds and out of the clouds. The, the, seeing the sea, you know, instead of just driving through suburbia, I started to go down the Northwest Motorway and there's water, you know. In a way, I just started enjoying going there. But I remember when I first arrived at the Harbour Bridge office, which was a police station there, and one of some of the other sergeants said, oh, I'm glad you're here now. Now you can do this and this. Thinking that the new boy, you know, the new sergeant turning up was going to take on this and this. And I said, sorry. I'm not taking on your jobs. I've got my job to do, you know? And that's the thing, you know, with, with us as Christians. We, we really need to take on what God is putting on us. Because he said, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. So when we take on something else that is we feel is burdensome, we're going to challenge ourselves. Where did that come from? Who's giving us that? Oh, the Lord has burdened me with this. You know what I mean? And this isn't, attra in a, this isn't attractive. And people say, I've got sore shoulders. You know, we need to pray about that. Let's, see, let's get you released. Let's get you set free from that stuff. It could be relatives that put something on you, you know? It could be somewhere where you work. It could be yourself. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Loving God, taking proper care of ourselves, and loving others 
sounds so simple, but when we have the balance wrong, it is just difficult. It says, you know, Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In fact, I'll put the, the New Living Translation is there as well. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. You know, when I did that generosity, when I did the tithing message, um, and I did the letterbox, you remember the letterbox that I had balloons in the letterbox? And there are some things in our life that are always, our flesh is always wanting us to do those things, which is entertainment, it is food, um, you know, those sort of things, and spending money makes us feel better. All those sorts of things make us feel better. And the little spiritual balloon that's squeezed into that letterbox with the, with the other big balloon. So that is always driving us, you know, that's why ourselves, we look after ourselves, right from babies, right from babies where babies are selfish, in a sense. They're cute. And, it, and it's just as well the babies come out cute. Because there's a certain phases in kids' lives that it is not cute. And a little puppy and a little kitten, oh, they're so gorgeous, you know, until they start ripping up your, your shoes and pooing in the corners and all that sort of stuff, all right? Where was I going with that? <laughs> you know, there's where our heart is. I was saying selfish. Kids are selfish. But we've got to, I think, come to that stage where we're not selfish. Amen? We are. We want something to feed us. We want something to change our nappies. And sometimes people go right through life like that. They're wanting their nappies changed and they're wanting fed all the time and they, they come home and they just lie on the couch and they put the TV on and expect their spouse to wait on them, you know, hand and foot and all that. Never grow up. But I think in Christ we need to grow up. And we need to say that others are more important than ourselves. You know, I love the church. I've got to say this, I do love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And I love you. In Revelation we read, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, and given her to wear. And it just in the brackets there it says in the NIV, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. You know, you guys are beautiful. You are lovely. And the Word of God tells me and tells you that we need to love each other. Some versions say, love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some versions say, love our brothers and sisters. And are we loving each other? Remember what Jesus said when Peter said he would lay down his life for him. No, you won't. 
As soon as my back is turned, you will deny even knowing me. Didn't Jesus say that to Peter? Did he? Do we say the same? Yeah, I'll follow you anywhere. No, you won't. As soon as you get out of church, you're going to be as critical as anything. You're going to critique that message, if you can remember it, by the time you got into the car. The worship was too loud. They didn't sing my songs. The scholars have gone before I got there. deny me as soon as my back's turned. Let alone be the salt and the light. Pastor prays that every Sunday. Salt and light? Get a grip. I love Sundays. I'm going to cry soon. I'm warning you. I'll tell you why. I'm going to read something out, and I'm going to have difficulty doing it. And I was crying before. And when I was just saying I love the church, you know what God said? I do too. He said, I love the church. And that's you. I get excited when I see the flags. Around the corner of Matthew's Ave, knowing somebody got out of bed early to put those out before we all arrived, just in case somebody new came looking for the church. When I come in at nine, people are waiting in the kitchen to unload the kitchen things. People have already put the chairs, boards, signs, screens, and projector in place. Some of you never see this. The music gear was picked up even earlier, meaning people left home shortly after seven, then unloaded all the gear, rolled out the cables, got the sound running, all the speakers and mics, and yet they still look good, dressed nicely. Musicians, young and old, are practicing, young and older, I mean, are practicing. I did have older in there. So everything sounds great for the main event. Some have even practiced during the week. Young people are learning how to lead worship. People are beginning to bring their baking in and helping set up. Others come early, rain or shine, and stand out on the deck to pray for the service, the music, the preaching, the Sunday school, for souls, and that we all experience the presence of God. People are setting up the media table so we have the words for our songs, slides and videos and message scriptures. Our ushers and greeters are here early even though not everybody comes before 10. Kids, teachers and creche people are setting up ready to teach and take care of our kids. The info desk is getting set up, scones are getting buttered, communion cups are being filled and bread sliced. No, that's the church. We've been honouring people over the last few months. Different people have done different things. We honoured people at Mother's Day, some very special mothers. We honoured Sue and John, both done well today for what they've achieved. And here's a group of people 
but is serving the church and serving the Lord. It touches me. And that's even before church begins. And your people are so critical of the church, that church. The church isn't doing this, the church isn't doing that. Don't say that to me. Tell me that I'm not doing something. Tell me that Nana Joy isn't doing something. Tell me that Emma's not doing something. Tell me that Catherine's not doing something. You know what I mean? Tell me who's not doing what you want the church to be doing. Don't tell me the church isn't doing it, because the church is doing a lot. This isn't a growling to anybody. I'm proud of the church. I'm proud of the bride of Christ. I'm proud of you. I love you. And even before that, some people are, are going to pack and save or wherever and buying the, the ingredients to bake out of their own money. Some people are cutting up pictures or, or preparing messages, Sunday school messages. You know, people are doing stuff during the week. Some people are inviting people to church. This is all before it happens. So I go home excited. I go home excited for what happened. Sure, some things can go wrong. Technical issues can happen. We didn't have any sound on our video. We don't know why. We've got a brand new computer. We're having to work that out. Alyssa and I were working up late last night trying to get the thing to work properly. We have all those issues. But the church is beautiful. You are beautiful. And if God asked you about this earth, He would say it's good. He would say it's good. And He's always said it is good. The bad in this world is about that big. If we look at who made the wood for this floor, who made the metal for those nails, who made the, the ceiling, you know, who made the sky, who stand on the beach and look out there and see any evil, you won't see any evil whatsoever. Till a quad bike runs you over while you're staring out there. <laughs> or your torpedo thing just disappears. The evil in the world is that big. But the, look, the devil has made it that big. This world is good. Amen? This country is good. The people are good. I've had stuff borrowed from my garage in the middle of the night. <laughs> they haven't brought it back yet. coming, is it? Somebody must have a whole storeroom full of chainsaws. You are good. And God loves you, and He loves you to bits. But we're on a journey, aren't we? We're work in progress. But let's go back to that stop take picture. The church is different depending whether you're on the stands or whether you're in the game. When you're in the game, you're doing your best. The rugby coach, when he's reading the Herald in the morning and he's reading all the critique from those that were sitting in the stand, the rugby writers, and he will be know all his failings of his team. 
but they weren't in the game. And when he was at practice with them, that night in the cold, they were doing their best. And I think the church is doing its best. But I think we need to get the balance right, as a church and as individuals. And I'm not putting the finger to anybody. But we've got to aim for loving God first. Amen? And out of that, he's saying, if you love me, you will love others. Get past yourself. But we spend most of our time loving ourselves. It's just natural. So let's just think of this message as a stock take. Say, where am I? What can I do from tomorrow onwards? How can I help run this church? Because I would love everybody to be helping. Because you are the church. I don't mind if there's 20 people standing in the cold and the rain out in the deep. Amen? I don't mean if we have choir every Sunday. Just come and say, I want to sing. Let them know you want to sing. I want us to be involved, because this is your church. Let's stand. Let's, let's get the... Before I just carry on too far. Let's... Yes. Thank you. Thank you, all of you, for everything that you do. God appreciates it, and he loves you the best.